tonight <coughs> is uh, is a very really very special night uh, and tonight uh, what, what makes it special first of all it's Yisoyed Shabi Yisoyed in terms of counting counting the Sphira Yisoyed means the foundation Yisoyed of the foundation so we're really at what's called the bottom since Yisoyed Shabi Yisoyed is the foundation of the foundation <coughs> so that's uh, and that's a very important area of thinking uh, in terms of certainly Kabbalistically the concept of Yisoyed Shabi Yisoyed also what's tonight is a uh, is the yacht site of Ramosha Chaim Lutzato. He died in um, 1747. He was only basically 39 years old. And uh, they once asked, uh, there's a lot of ideas about him, but uh, they once asked the Ms. Richard Magid, who was the Magid who took over from the Baal Shem Tov, the whole Hasidus. So they once asked him <coughs> um, why he died so young. He died in 1747 uh, uh, in Eretz Yisrael, in Akko. That's where he lived for a short while. And he died uh, in a plague, a cholera epidemic. <coughs> um, and they once asked, like I said, the Mizrach Magid, why a person of such stature died. And uh, the Mizritcher Magid said that the world was not Zoycha for more. So obviously, and this is the Mizritcher Magid who was, after the Bashem, he took over the whole Hasidus. And the, uh, the second story I would, uh, you know, I, uh, story I would like to say is the story that uh, is brought down <coughs> uh, Rav Chaim who's the greatest Talmud of the Ari of the uh, Vilna Goyen. So a nephew of Rab Chaim Velozhin once asked, once wrote a letter to his uncle, Rab Chaim Velozhin. And he said to him that I just got finished reading or learning a sefer that was written by the Ramchal called the Adibamoram, which is a uh, sefer which is written on what's called the uh, Idris that the Ramchal wrote. It's a Kabbalah Sefer, really heavily laden with Kabbalistic thinking. So he told his uncle, Chaim Veloshim, I just finished learning it and it's phenomenal stuff. He says, why was he not Zoycha to live long? You know? So Rab Chaim Veloshim told him, I will tell you, I don't know why, you know, neither Veloshim knows why, these type of people don't make it and so on. But I will tell you what the Vilna Goyen, my Rebbe, who is obviously everybody knows the Vilna Goyen, what he said on the Ramchal. And here's what he said. I mean, there's a lot of ideas, but here's what he said. He said, when the uh, Vilna Goyen was young and he started learning Kabbalah and so on, so it says that he wasn't sure if Rab Chaim Vital was the one who wrote down all the material of the Ari. He wasn't sure if Rab Chaim Vital understood what's called the Nimshal of the Ari, because Kabbalah <coughs> is a certain type of text. It's, it's really code, you know, and, but it has what's called a Nimshal, an analog, what it really means. 
So he said when he learned, finished, this is the Vilna Goyen talking, when he finished the Sefer on Kabbalah and so on by the Rav Chaim Vital, he wasn't sure if Rav Chaim Vital, who was the greatest Talmud of the Ari, understood the true interpretation or analog of his Rebbe, the Ari. But then as he was learning further and further, he saw that Rav Chaim Vital did understand the real meaning of the Kabbalah of the Ari. Not just the metaphors, but what it really means. You see, so then the Vilna going continues, and the Ramchal, and he Mamash says, Moshe Chaim Mutzatoi clearly understood the Nimshel of the Ari. Like with him, it wasn't even a doubt. And the Vilna going ends by saying, Ubor Hashem, thank God, Gamani, so do I. That's what the Vilna going said. So on the Ramchal, there was not even a question of his understanding. So this is the Vilna Goin, who many people hold, probably of course, that he was his, certainly as great as Arishan. He's a phenomenal person, the Vilna Goin. He's one of the most famous Jews, certainly of the last thousand years. And this is what he is saying about Moshe Chaim Ratzato. So we can imagine what this person was and so on. It's probably one of the greatest, greatest Kabbalists in the last 500 years. So obviously he was phenomenal. I mean, there's a great deal you can talk about the Ramchal in terms of his biography and so on. But I just want to bring down just uh, some of those ideas about who this person was, which we really do not know. I mean, he died at 39 years old. So obviously, if that's the case, uh, it's just phenomenal. Imagine if he had lived another 50 years, how much more he would have written. You know, and he wrote many, many sfarim. Many of them are hidden. There's a whole story about why they're hidden and so on. But that's basically who Ramesh Chaim Santo was. And he was Nifta in Yisoyed Shabi Yisoyed, which is tonight, on Chavav Iyo. Yeah, so before I continue, I want to just mention uh, some names. First of all, <coughs> this year should be a blessing and a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas Yosef Ruvain and Yeshaya Ben Yisrael, Benjamin Wolf, Ben Tzvihesh, and Baruch Ben Benjamin Wolf. Uh, they should have an alias neshama. Also, uh, I want to also wish uh, to Rochel Bas Esther that she should have um, an easy time she should um, have tremendous health and nachas and simcha and uh, that everything should be well with her and with her future child also Rafu Shlema for Shol Chai Gavriel Ben Sora he should also have Rafur Shalema, and Sora Bas Chano should have also a Rafur Shalema. And uh, also Rafur Shalema for Elisheva Baslea and Doniel Ben Luna. And um, I wish all the Hatzlocha uh, for all good simchas and good news 
Parochaleabas, Surah Bracha, for all kinds of simcha and goodness. In any case, <clears throat> so the schus of the Shia should go for each one whatever they need. Okay. Anyway, that's who the Ramchal is. That's a small sample of the Ramchal himself and so on, you know. So what I wanted to do is just talk about these ideas. Uh, the, the concept of Yisoyed should be Yisoyed. Uh, to talk about, you know, some of the ideas that Hashkofa and even Kabbalah talk about in these, this sphere. Now we already know, I've mentioned many times, that what the Rosham did is the Rosham himself is so far removed from our reality that he needs an intermediary to create the reality. And he did. He created the concepts of forces. And these are forces are known as spheres. And there are ten of them. And I've mentioned them before that they are divine or they are called uh, elokus because they represent the force or the instrumentation of the Rabbanu Shlaram. We have no idea what they are and so on, obviously. But they are uh, in the same, if you want to use the same place or department as the Rabbanu Shlaram. But even that's not true because the Rabbanu himself is so far removed, even from the spheres, that God as an entity is beyond comprehension and so on. But in any case, what they do is they create realities. So what the Rabbanu does, and I mentioned this actually last week in terms of what Judaism really is, the whole concept of creating existential transformations, where you create existences and then you transform it into a higher one and then into a higher one and so on, until you get to the greatest existence of all, which is Oilam Haba, which is the future world. So the way it's done is that the spheres create Oilam Haba first. And in Kabbalah that is called Adam Kadmoin, which is it's called primordial man. And Ilam Habo is really an existential state, some type of existence that to us is incomprehensible. It's from our standpoint, it's perfect. Nothing, there is not there's no negativity in any form, shape, or degree whatsoever in that place or that dimension and what and who creates Oilam Habo is the spheres they create all the realities and so on and the way they do it is they diminish their power you want to call it light in Kabbalah they use the concept called light you see so they diminish their energy or their light and they create a lower reality and then they diminish it further and create a lower reality and so on. So the key really when you think about it of what determines and creates realities are the spheres. And it all depends what their output is, you see. So what the Rabbanisham wants is he wants the Jews, because they're the ones who do it, to increase the output of the spheres, you see. So first he diminishes the power of the spheres 
and that is a basic concept called symptom, which means to restrict or to diminish. And they diminish their output, you see, until they create the lowest reality, when you think about it, which is this world. And what he wants is the Jewish people to perform certain deeds, and these are basically the Taryag Mitzvahs, 613 commandments, and they will to do these mitzvahs, and that will increase the output of the ore, of the force, of the energy, of these spheres. And as that happens, then existence, or the realities, or the dimensions, increases. Now, we don't know what that means in terms of, what does it mean for existence to increase? We don't know. But from even the, the after us, the reality that will be increased is Yemoisah Mashiach. The Messianic era is an era that we cannot comprehend, even though it's physical and it's here. So, you know, we would wonder why can't we understand it? We won't. People do not understand what's about to happen. The reality of the Messianic era is beyond comprehension. I don't want to go into the whole idea, but I spoke about this, I think, last week, the week before, whatever, and so on. All the previous Shuram. But then you go out of this world and you go into a higher reality, which is called the Ilomus, the worlds of Ilm Hazer. And I mentioned previously there are three of them. So what's going to happen is the, the realities will be increased, made much greater, and we don't really comprehend what they are. And finally, the reality of Ilm Habo, right? That reality will be created, which will be out of, totally incomprehensible. <coughs> and so on. I went very much into it uh, in last week's share, uh, especially the share in Lagboima and the existential states, the five existential states of Judaism and so on. In any case, that's what he wants. So what God really wants is to increase the output of the energy or the ore of the spheres and that will change reality that's ultimately what he wants and so on and that's really in many ways the purpose of the creation and ultimately man will be in that type of state where he will be as perfect as his type of being can ever be in any case ah, that's an interesting concept it's really very simple you know, first you go down, and then you go up. And that's how it's arranged, you know. And the way to do it, of course, is called the mitzvahs. You see, this Tariag mitzvahs, 613 commandments. And if you observe them, basically, you will reverse and make much greater the existential state of reality. Until finally you come to a reality which is in many ways perfect, and that will be eternal. In any case, that's a very brief summary and so on, you see. So that's a first concept or idea which is very important. It's a general idea, but it's very, very important, you see. Now, how does that work in a certain sense? So the way it works is that these spheres create the neshama, now we don't really know what the soul is. Nobody knows what their soul is. 
But that is the f greatest creation and the first in many ways of the spheres themselves, you see. So that's a very important idea. Now, <clears throat> so the spheres create the neshama, but what's interesting is that, like I said, there are 10 spheres, and they are, which I think we're familiar with, the greatest of the spheres is Keser, then you have nine below it, which is Chochma and Bina. Then you have Chesed and Gvura, Tferes, Netzachod, Yisoyed and Malchus. Those are the ten spheres. But what is interesting, without getting into detail, is that those ten spheres, which is called Epartsov. Epartsov is a configuration. It's like a set, you see. So those are the original ten spheres, and that is a set or a configuration. But they have 613 divisions or sections. Yeah, that's what they have. 613 different sections. So what's interesting is when they, when they create the Nishoma, then the Nishoma has 613 compartments, just like the spheres. Because in a certain sense, they create not a replica, but certainly a, uh, a uh, model of them, and therefore the Neshama has 613 parts to it, which in many ways is, in many ways is uh, spectacular. Now, the Neshama itself right, gives, emits or gives forth, actually it's the spheres, creates a body, you see. And the body has, according to Chazal, the rabbis, 613 parts. Each part corresponds to one of the 613 parts of the Neshama, which corresponds to the 613 parts of the spheres. You see? So we're looking here at a very interesting parallel. You see? Now, what the Mosham then did, and this is in many ways how it works, he created 613 mitzvahs, commandments. So you have 613 parts in the spheres, which correspond to 613 parts of the neshama, and each neshama has its own 10 spheres with its 613 parts. So you have the spheres of 613 parts, then you have the neshama of 613 parts, which brings forth the body the body itself, which has 613 parts, you see. Now, the, the idea is for the, the neshama that is encapsulated in the body to increase the ore, you see, the light or the energy of its corresponding 613 parts in the, its 10 spheres. Because each neshama has its own 10 spheres, without getting it to becoming too more technical. So, what the Moshe did is very interesting. There are 613 parts of the body. As the Gemara says, right? There's 248 organs, and there's 365. Sometimes they translate them as muscles, as sinews, whatever it is. But it's 248 plus 365 comes out to 613. So what the Moshe did is he gave the individual, basically the Jewish person, right 613 commandments 
And each commandment is connected to one of the 613 parts of the body. So when a person does a mitzvah, what will happen is the aspect of the sphera, which corresponds to the 613 13th part in the body, will be incredibly energized, you see? And ultimately, it will, that energy will be stored for that body part at Chiesa Mesim. So it comes out that the way a person is resurrected in Chiesa Mesim is if he did the Tariag Mitzvahs, 613 Mitzvahs, which energized his set of the 10 spheres, you see, so he'll get up with all 613 parts of his body, basically, you know. Now, if you're wondering, well, how did I get up? How do I get up? I don't do all the mitzvahs. Why? I'm not a kohen. If I'm not a kohen, I don't have the mitzvahs of the kohuna. Right? There are many mitzvahs. I think now there's about uh, close to 250 or whatever mitzvahs that we practice today. The rest, they're not even applicable today. And not only that, even when all the mitzvahs were applicable, right? It depends who you are. If you were a kohen, a kohen gadol, a levi, right? Each one has his mitzvahs that only he does, right? His tribe not the other tribe. So the answer is that, you know, there are different answers, but a person can come back as a Kohen, as a Levi, Israel. So in all the Gulgulim, in all the reincarnations, you know, hopefully he will have done all the 613 mitzvahs that will mechaya, which means resurrect, his total, total body, you know. I mean, obviously there are a lot of details and complications and so on, you know. Now the, the problem is, as an Agav, it means as an incidental, is that certain mitzvahs correspond to the heart, you know, and, and then mitzvahs that correspond, let's say, to the spleen. So if you don't do the mitzvah that corresponds to the spleen, you'll survive. You don't do the mitzvah that corresponds to your heart, bad news, you're dead. Because the heart is an organ that is essential, like the brain, etc. you know. So how, how the Rebunshim will deal with that is his business, basically, you see. But essentially, ideally, I should say, you, you, sh you should do all the 613 or whatever is commanded to you, and that's how you get up. That's what's mechaya. That's what uh, gives you the future life of the guf. So it comes out that the mitzvah is the trigger for an or that corresponds to its part in the uh, spheres. That's basically what it is. So you have these four parallels. 613. 613 in the uh, spheres, 613 in the neshama, 613 in the guf, in the body, and 613 mitzvahs. And they all parallel each other. Very interesting concept, which in many ways is very, very, it's very important. In any way, now, so that's, very interesting. Now, so far, this is what existed. So far, this is what existed. Where you could increase the output of the light, the ore of the spheres, thereby uh, enormously giving power to the entire body. But something changed. What changed? And that was the sin of Odom. What exactly happened by the sin of Odom? What happened was is that because of the sin of Odom, 
there was created a new reality. I shouldn't say created a new reality, but th there was a new reality that became part of the formula, or part of the cheshbon, as they say. What was that? And what was created was something that never was. Until now, what you could do is increase the output of the spheres, like I said, with the Taryag Mitzvahs. That's how you would do that. And that would ensure that you would survive in Oilam Habo. That would make sure that you had Tchir and so on. So that's very important. But you really could not block that light. In other words, you could increase the output, you see. You couldn't diminish the output, but you could increase. If you didn't do the mitzvah, so you wouldn't increase. But that's where it was at. So it either remained the light of the spheres, or you could increase it by doing the Tariyag mitzvahs. But if the, once the spheres gave their output, their light, right, you couldn't block it. There was no way. So Adam changed that by his sin. What happened was, is there was a nochosh, a snake. And he was really the mouthpiece, mouthpiece of the serpent. You see? And what his job, what he tried to do, was to get Adam and Chava to sin. Which means to rebel, to go against the command of God. And the command was then, obviously, not to eat from a certain type of tree. You see? And they, of course, failed to do that. So the original job was to ignore the advice of the snake, called the primordial snake, or to ignore the, uh, to ignore the advice of the sultan, because the snake was really the mouthpiece of the sultan. Just ignore it. Had you done that, then Adam would have increased, because that one mitzvah, you didn't need Taryag. There was no such thing as 613 commandments, because all of them was wrapped up in that one mitzvah to empower 613 mitzvahs. All you need to do was that one mitzvah. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Somehow the Bershom wired all of the 613 parts of the spheres into that one mitzvah. That's all he had was that one mitzvah. If he did it, then that would have enormously increased the output of the neshama of Adam, which was his ten spheres, right? But he had a massive amount of spheres. His spheres were just incredibly huge, you see? And that one mitzvah would have done it, but he failed. So therefore, he changed reality. How? Because he introduced a concept called Zoyama. And I mentioned last week that there is an existence called physical existence, but it is now intermingled with Zoyama, which is the world of Sutton. Before that, it was the world of pure physicality. Geshem, I mentioned this last week. And that's all there was. So Odomarishan, first man, was pure physicality, of which we do not know what it was. He was not like us, or rather I should say we were not like him. I gave a comparison, which I think is a really very good mushroom. Even in the physical world, there are two <coughs> fundamentally different types of, of physical substances. One is energy. Energy is physical, even though it's energy. We don't know what it is, 
but it's part of the physical world. Like radio wave is physical, can be detected by physical instruments. We have no idea what it is that goes through the ear, yet it's a physical reality. And then, of course, besides radio waves or energy, there's matter. Matter, we know, according to Einstein, is a frozen form of energy. Of course, we don't know what that means really, but we do know that they're both physical realities. Therefore, you could say the same thing. Before the sin of Adam, Adam was like a body of pure energy, which we don't know what that is, but it had no matter, you see. Then after the sin, right, then Adam became matter. Very interesting parallels, you see. Why? Because Adam introduced the concept of Zoyama, of the Sultan. Now, <clears throat> Zoyama, what is Zoyama? Zoyama is what's called a pollution. It's a contamination. It's really a force that is emitted by the Sultan, you see. And what he did is by giving belief to the Sultan, he allowed the Sultan to intermingle with the world of physicality, his world, and then all of a sudden the world changed. It now became a world of physicality plus Zoyama. Because we now, if you want to use the word, fell into the world of the Sultan, which is a material world, right? Not a world of energy, you see. So that's bad news, you see, because we now became subject to the force of the Sultan. And that force is called Zoyama, you see. Zoyama is a force that the Sultan uses. It's a projected force that he can do all kinds of things. Now, but the interesting thing about it is this. You know, I once gave an example, which I think is a very good example, that even in this physical world, right, scientists have proven, I think in 2012, that in order for energy to be turned into matter, which isn't which they, everybody holds, that's Einstein, and so on, you need what's called the Higgs boson. And that boson, that particle, whatever it is, it's called the Higgs field, can actually change energy into matter, substance. Right. Without that Higgs boson, it remains pure energy. You can almost look at it that that's exactly what happened by the Mauritian. Before that, he was pure energy. Then he introduced the Zoyama, and the equivalent of the Zoyama is the Higgs boson, which now turns his energy field, whoever he was, into physical substance, into matter, you see, which is very interesting. In any case, this is what Adam did. He introduced his world, which is pure physicality, a incredibly fine um, level of physicality, like I mentioned, and he now became intermingled with matter, okay, because of Zoyama, you see, which is bad news. Now, what does that mean? Uh, because what the Zoyama does is several ideas. The first idea is that Zoyama blocks the aura of the spheres. Never happened before. The aura of the spheres was continuous. You could increase it, like I said, by the mitzvahs, depending on what you're commanded to do. But you could increase the aura. You didn't, couldn't diminish it, 
right? And you couldn't block it, but you could increase it. That's great, which is what Adam could do. The problem is, after Adam fell into the world of the Zoyama, or the world of Sutton, right? The Zoyama, that pollution can block the ore of the spheres. You see, first time, never happened before. And that is bad news. But wait a minute. If you block the ore of spheres, right, you're blocking the ore of what? Of the spheres of any person. So if a person does an Avera, then whatever Avera he did blocks the ore of the sphere that corresponds to that Avera. Because just like there are 613 mitzvahs, each one is 613 Averas. The reverse is the Avera. For, so for the first time, could you imagine, you can block the ore of whatever that, uh, w the, uh, whatever that Avera corresponds to which mitzvah, and where in the spheres it is. You see, never happened before. So therefore, man, if he blocks the, his particular set of ten spheres, right, can become severely injured and die. Because his spheres, which gives him chiyos, life, right, without that, he's dead. Because he needs the spheres to constantly maintain who he is. You see, it's incredible, the repercussions. That is the origin of death and the origin of all diseases. Very interesting. That's where it comes from. That's why before Adam's sin, he could live forever. He couldn't get a disease, you see, because you couldn't block the spheres of whatever part of the body he had. Because remember, each one corresponds to some area of the body. He couldn't block it, right? So why would he die, right? He wouldn't die, he wouldn't get any disease. But once you introduce the Zoyama, of the Satan, and the world now became a combination of Geshem, physicality, and Zoyamor, or Satan, right? You now could block the light of the spheres. So that was the first devastation. So he now became subject to death. And that's what the Banshim told him. On the day that you eat it, you will die. Because you will now have the ability, since you mingled now with another existence, you are now have the ability to block right the sphere the light or the energy of that sphere that corresponds to your sin you see and guess what the body part that now corresponds to that sin is gonna what is gonna wilt and die this is true medicine you see this is what a kabbalistic doctor would do that's how he cures disease. It's a whole different it's what called it's a whole different paradigm of what a disease is. Just like the, they discovered nobody knew what disease was. They thought it was all kinds of fluids, you know, uh, air, fire, water, whatever, you know, and then they realized it's pathogens. It's either viruses. In fact, the word virus is avarice, sins. It's funny that they picked that word for virus. Avira, right? Avira is a sin. Right? So that's infectious diseases. Or it's what's called degenerative. Like cancer, heart attack. It's one of those two. Where the body ceases to function because it's not being, it's not functioning correctly and so on. But that can only come, so that was a second paradigm. 
you know, that it's not the ancient way of looking at it where you're not having enough fluids or whatever, the bile, whatever these guys thought up, you know. Finally, they understood the theory of germs, Louis Pasteur, right? But the real origin of disease is none of that. It's the Avera. Of course, you know, anybody listening to this year would say, what kind of witchcraft is this? What kind of witch doctor are we talking about? You know, were they going to sing about, you know, the incantations and all that? No, that's really what goes on. Our problem is we don't have any clue as to which spheres are connected to which Averis, right? And which organ is connected to which Averis. We don't know. You see, you have to be a very great Makubal, Kabbalist, to know that. And there were people who, who knew that. And they would tell you, ah, you got this disease. Wait a minute. You got high sugar. You got diabetes. Ah, so this is the Avera that lies on your neshama that is blocking this particular aspect of the sphera. So therefore, what you have to do is do tshuva on that Avera, right? And then do the mitzvah. And guess what? Your diabetes will disappear. You see, the problem is nobody really knows what's connected to what. You see, I don't think the AMA will ever certify this kind of doctor. But I'm telling you what the real origin of disease is. Once you understand the origin of the whole structure of a human and how it connects to the spheres and the mitzvahs and so on, you know, then you know exactly what is going on, you see. But in any case, so this is a very, very important, obviously. It's a fundamental aspect of the human being and what he is, you see. But that's what you really, in order to do that, you really have to, to know, you see. So, but what's also interesting is not only Odom Mauritian by his sin now blocked the awe of the spheres, and since the sphere was connected to that mitzvah, right, and was being blocked by the Zoyama that he created, right? It blocked it, and all of a sudden, he became physical, really physical, the way we are, and therefore he was subject to death. That's number one. The second problem, which never happened before, you see, uh, is that it's not only that the Zoyama of the Sotan, of that world, it's called the Klippa, the Tumor, could block the Sphera, you see, and therefore block the area of the neshama, which would automatically block the area of the body and subject it to vulnerability of all kinds of deficiencies, which is called disease, right? The sudden can be yoinek from the kedusha of that sphera. See, this was the second blow that Odom did. So it's not only that he blocked the sphera, no. The sudden can now divert the ore of the sphera from the neshama which would block it from the goof and actually turn it to himself so he himself can enliven or invigorate himself and grow in might that's a second tragedy that happened it's called the yanika where the satan is able to urinate the satan is able to nourish from the sphera right that the area of the sin that this person would have gotten had he done the mitzvah. Instead he sinned, blocked that light, and that light or energy now goes to the sultan that energizes him. And therefore he grows. 
And that begins, you begin to see, right, the, 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 the destruction of the world itself. Because once the Sutton gets a hold of that ore, then he can wreak havoc with the entire planet. And that is really what, why the world looks the way it does. And boy, does it look bad, pretty now. Now it looks terrible. So, so therefore, this is the world of Zoyama. Where the light of a sphera on any particular person or on the world is blocked. Now, part of the problem is, like I mentioned in the shear of Avas Yisrael, we're all one organism. So if you block the sphera of one Jew, guess what? Since we're all part of one organism, guess what? We get blocked also, even though we didn't do the Avera. You see, that's the concept where one Jew sins, it will affect every Jew. Because we're all one organized, or organism. And also what it is, is that if we do one mitzvah, then every Jew will get the increase of the, of the, the awe of the spheres. You see? So we're all tied together in that sense, which is what I mentioned. And I mentioned the metaphor. We are Siamese twins. Right? One body, many, high, many heads. That's all it is. But we're really one organism. But the secret is the ability of the Zoyama, of the Satan, in that world, since it's now connected to the Geshem, pure Geshem world, can block and divert the ore of the spheres. Very, very important idea, you see. Now, what did Adam do? You see, that's the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the concept here, you see. Well, like I said, Adam sinned, but the problem was his sin wasn't a little sin. Since he was connected to one Taryag Mitzvah, basically, therefore he could release the awe of the totality of all the spheres, not just the ten of the ten, but the ten of the entire Bria, because the spheres are many, many different levels. There's 10, and each one has 10, and each one of them has 10, and so on, into an infinite breakdown. So what happened was, his sin was fundamental, and his sin was all comprehensive. It was devastating to the whole creation. So it wasn't him that had to die, it was every single organism, living thing, had to die. Because he was everything. That's what Adam Arishan was. So that had very interesting manifestations. And now you begin to see, wait a minute, if he blocked the ore of that, those spheres of him, which was the totality of everything, the entire creation, then he damaged his foundation. His isoid, you see? And now we begin to understand what happened in a beautiful way and what the Rabbanisham did as a result of that. You see? Now, what we have to know is that the human body is a model. It is a model of the ten spheres. You see? But it has two different areas. The ten spheres are represented in his head, okay? And they're also represented in his body. That's why we are shaped like this, with a head, a torso, <coughs> a legs, legs, and a genital region. That's why we are shaped the way we are, because the spheres are arranged in that form, from top to bottom, okay? It's called linear, you see. 
So let's take a look, begin to understand some beautiful uh, ideas that emerge once you see this model, you see. Now, the normal way they do is they look at the ten spheres that the body represents these ten spheres. Because we are a model. We are a model, our configuration, our stature, the way we stand, exactly like the ten spheres, from top to bottom. Therefore, if you think about it, how does it work? Well, you have Kesser, Chochman, Bina, which are the top three. Those are the main spheres that energize the lower seven, right? So you have Kesser, Chochman, Bina. They are represented by the brain. There are three brains for those people who don't know. There are three of them, right? If I recall correctly, there's the cerebellum, cerebrum, cerebrum, and the medulla oblongata. I hope I'm right, right? It's been a long time since I looked at my anatomy. Anyway, those three brains, they rule the entire body. You see, that's Kesser, Chochman, Bina. Okay? They rule the entire body. Then you have the right hand is Chesed. The left hand is Gvura. Okay? The torso is Tiferes. Fine. Then you have the right leg is Netzach. The left leg is Hoid. Uh, and the genital region is Yesoid and Malchus. Okay? And that's how Kabbalah looks at it. You see. And uh, the male and female have obviously two different types of genitals. And therefore, the, the two concepts, Yesoid Malchus, are represented by each one, but in obviously different organs and so on, you see. And that's a very important concept, by the way, which I will explain. Because that shows you what really happened and so on. In any case, so that's the ten spheres of the body itself. But the head has ten spheres also. Okay, what do we have? Right? We have the same idea, Kesser, Chochman, Bina, with the three brains. Then we have the right ear and the left ear. We have the nose. Right? And then we have the mouth and the tongue. Those are the ten spheres in the head, you see. Also very important. Now let's, let's take a look at what Adam did. What Adam did is the basic sin, right, that Adam did is he believed his wife. The Sutton spoke in one conversation, Lashon Hara, Rechilus, and Maitishemra, all three in one conversation. He spoke Lashon Hara, right, because he degraded God by saying that God, the reason why God told you not to eat is because he doesn't want any rivals, because the tree, he got his power from the tree, is what Rashi says, and he doesn't want any rivals, so that's why he didn't want you to eat. That's Lashon Hara. That's degrading God. Ob obviously, God created everything. The second thing, right, is he said to Adam, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree, not because he wants to do something good for you, on the contrary. He doesn't want you, right, to rival him. So that would create a, a sinner, a hatred in who? In Adam Harishan. Ah, that's what God is. He's selfish. And that's what Rechilis is. 
where you say something that will create hatred in the listener from the subject of the conversation. And then the whole thing was false. That's Moshe Shemra. So the Sultan's main Avera was <coughs> Russian horror, Rechilus, and, and Moshe Shemra. It's amazing. That was the sin. Now, Chava listened, and she believed it. And she went over toward Adam and told him, and he believed her. And you're not allowed to believe Lashon Hara, certainly Rechilus, certainly Moshe Shemra. So all of them committed the sin of Lashon Hara. You see? But since Lashon Hara is done with the mouth and the tongue, you see, so automatically, which is Lashon Hara and, and so on, right? Automatically, they, that Odom and Chava damaged the Svira that is represented by the mouth and the tongue, which is Yesoid and Malchus. Now, Yesoid is the ninth Svira, and that pours its energy into the tenth Svira called Malchus. And Malchus is the receptacle of all energy of the upper nine. Because Yesoid is nine, Malchus is ten, the bottom. Ten does not give forth its energy because there's nothing below it. It receives the energy and forms a reality. The problem is, is that Lashon Hara, which is done with the tongue and the mouth, which is what they spoke, damages the ninth and tenth sphere. So the ninth sphere, which is Yesoid, right, which pours its energy into the Malchus, which is the tenth, cannot work. Doesn't work. You see? So therefore, Lashon Hara became the real sin of what Adam did. He damaged his Yisoid and his Malchus. Very interesting. Ah, but wait a minute. We now know that if that's the case, automatically, if he stops that energy of those two spheres, Yisoid Malchus, right? So automatically, his body will be affected. Because I said, the corresponding Avera of Yesoid and Malchus, which is his tongue and his mouth, which was damaged by his sin, automatically will damage the area of the body that those spheres uh, maintain. And what is that? That's the genital region. That's what it is, which is why I said. Therefore, both the man and the woman suffered in the genital region. It's astounding. That's what happens. So, in terms of the man, the man, the Gemara says, that Adam was born circumcised. Nothing. Because there's no blockage. There's no diversion. You see? So that area of his body which represents the genital region, the Yisoyed Malchus, is fine. But after the damage he did with his mouth, right, by believing the Lashanara, he damaged the mouth right, which is the organ of communications. Therefore, Adam grew a foreskin over the genital region. There you go, Mila. So you have to have circumcision. That's how it happened. Adam was born without a need for circumcision. You see, very interesting. The reason why he had to have, is the Gemara says, he actually grew a foreskin that would require to cut. That's the whole concept of a bris. You see? So what I'm saying is exactly what happened to other Mauritian. The necessity 
for a bris because that he grew the foreskin and that foreskin is the representation of the or the orla which is the foreskin that is the blockage exactly of the zayama you see a woman she had the same suffering what was that so she has an area in the genital region same thing right of yesoid malchus right but the major area is the uterus that's her yesoid and so on and all of a sudden she became a nida right since you destroyed life guess what you, the lining of your uterus will be destroyed once a month you see how it works because she destroyed right the flow from hospirus of yesoid into malchus which basically represents her uh, genital region of the lining of the uterus that's the concept of menstruation why because the lining of the uterus represents life without that you're not having you're not having a kid and that was destroyed so once a month she must experience death which is what she introduced into the world by spreading the Lashon Hara or what the Sultan told her you see so now what happens it's very interesting once you understand how this works so the Bosham now commands the Jewish people right so what's the first thing he commands to Avraham Avinu you need a bris that will remove that area right that represents the Ola because of the sin of Adam because that's the job of the Jew to restore the flow from Yesoid which is the ninth sphere into Malchus that's what the job of a Jew is believe it or not so in order to indicate the Jew that that's what he has to do therefore every Jewish male has to have a bris circumcision you see it's fascinating that's what it is because the major job of the Jew is to undo the damage of Odomarishim which is he damaged Yesoid the ninth sphere flowing into the tenth there you are and therefore right he has so to symbolize that that's what his job is right every Jewish child male has to have a circumcision because that's his job and what is interesting is the word for foreskin is called Ola right and what was the sin that created the Ola right that covers right the whole area that represents Yisoyed Malchus Lashonara so the word Ola if you think about it is Lamed the letter Lamed Hey Resh Ayin Lamed Hora Lashonara the word Ola itself can be seen to be Lashonara the word itself spells it out you see that is why we now begin to understand something incredible why is Lashon Hara so bad? Because it damages the... Because since it's done with the mouth and the tongue, which represents in the head, right? Kabbalistically, Yesoid Malchus, the ninth and tenth sphere, and the Yesoid, which is the ninth sphere, has to pour into the tenth, or else there's no reality. That's why it's so bad, you see? Uh, it's a very very profound concept and it's funny because the Ramchal actually says this you know in the Sefer Tikkunim 
Tikkun Chadoshim. He actually brings this down, which is, I remember when I first saw this, I was astounded because this is the real Kabbalistic understanding of what's going on. You see? And it explains also things of the bris. You know, why that organ, right? Why in the eighth day? Because the job of the Jew is to remove the Ola, you see, which is the Zoyama. The Ola is the Zoyama, you see. It's to remove that. That's the job of the Jew. And to restore the creation where Yisoyed, the sphere of Yisoyed, pours into Malchus, you see. So he removes the physical symbol of the Zoyama, which is the Ola, which was caused by Lashanara, you see. And as a result of that, he corrects the damage done by Odomarishim. And when is that damage, damage really done, ultimately? On the 8,000th year, right? Because we have, right? We have this world, the, the, the age of the Tikkunim, and then you have the Messianic era, but the world ends in the year 6,000, and then it goes from 6 to 7, is what's called a zikoch, existential transformation of one Kabbalistic domain, then from uh, seven to eight, right? But the real zikoch, the real beginning of the end of physicality, Zoyama ends in the Messianic era because the Sultan is killed. But, but the physical world begins to change, the world of Geshem without Zoyama, but Geshem now becomes spiritual, you see? in the beginning of the 8,000th year. And guess what? That's the eighth day. That's why a bris has to be done in that place on the eighth day. And that is the symbol that every Jew carries with him, basically, you see, to indicate that he has to undo the chet of Odomarishim, you see? And uh, this is really the understanding. You now have an understanding of what a bris really is, Kabbalistically. And the whole setup of the concept of the vulnerability of all of this. And you also understand the idea of what Lashanara, why it is so bad, and so on. You see. Now, I wanted to also bring out a very interesting observation. You see, disease comes in two forms. One is called, you know, um, degenerative cancer heart attacks strokes diabetes this is a failure of the body basically within its own systems so that's one type of disease then there's what's called infectious diseases which is brought about by viruses you know fungi um, uh, 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 bacteria and so on there are two types of diseases. Why would one get one? Some people get cancer, right? Some people get tuberculosis. What determines that? You see what I'm saying? It's a very interesting concept. All of this is predetermined. Nothing is by accident which one you get. You know, so the fact that you get it, we already know. Because somewhere in your diary, you did a sin and you blocked and diverted the energy of that particular sin in that particular avera, so it's blocked. And therefore, the body part that corresponds to that is damaged. So therefore, it becomes vulnerable to bacteria. That's how they get in. 
Well, other than that, they can't, you see. But it's interesting to look at these two different types of diseases, you see. Now, what is interesting, we know what an infectious disease is. For most of mankind's history, most people died from infections, not from degenerative. I mean, they, they probably were always around, there's no question about that. But the main thing that were the killer diseases, you know, you know, tuberculosis, typhus, typhoid, you know, all these infectious, you know, pathogens and so on. And then we now, in this generation, the last 130 years, most people are dying not from infections. A lot of that has been cured because of the antibodies, the antibiotics and so on. Most people die today from degenerative diseases, right? Heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, cancer, uh, fatty liver. I mean, you can go down the whole, the whole host and so on, you know? The question is, what determines if a person will suffer from infectious? And what determines if a person will suffer from degenerative? Now, you know, I mean, it's very hard to say, obviously. Only God knows which one, if a person's going to be hit. I, I related to the whole structure of man. But it's interesting. I believe I have a certain understanding which I'd like to share with you, you know. <clears throat> when a person sins, there's two things, or rather there's, there's what's called the essential feature of the sin. One feature is sovereignty. When you sin, you're going against the sovereignty of God. God says, don't do this, and you do it. So you've defied his sovereignty. You're not doing what he ordered. Right? So I believe, therefore, that will lead, although we don't know when and how, because God takes into account not only the sin of what you do now, He looks back through all your incarnations, and He says, okay, and I gotta pay back. You know, you lived 600 years ago, and this has never been paid back. I gotta undo what you did 600 years ago. So, you know, only God has the view of the totality of your existence. So he can order when and where and how and so on. But I believe that the infectious diseases will hit basically based on sovereignty. You violated his sovereignty. You rebelled. He said, don't do this. You did it. So he gets his guards, the viruses, right? He gets these guys to go after you. You see? I mean, those are the, these are the instruments of God. But you think about that. So therefore, that person will be hit with an infectious diseases. But if you think about it, today, people don't die from infectious diseases, basically. I mean, there are people, obviously, who do. But the real killer of mankind today is, right, is degradation, right? Degenerative, where the body's not making it because it's being mistreated and so on. You know, whether because of too much sugar, too much insulin, right? or cancer. Now cancer, which is a very interesting disease, I'd like to explain something which is very interesting. And I believe that it has its own unique form of a virus. Although we cannot always match it, because only God can match. We don't know the real history of anybody really, you know. Cancer is a very interesting disease. It's when a cell in the body decides to go amok. You see, in two ways. That's what a cancer is. The unique for idea of cancer is that, and people don't really know why, cancer can, can hit any form of life. 
basically anyone animals get cancer humans get cancer you know probably the only thing that doesn't get cancer is cancer you see so people wonder or scientists wonder how does cancer hit everything and the second thing cancer can hit any organ in the body anyone that's why there are hundreds and hundreds of different cancers because any organ can be subject to cancer what is cancer really if you think about it so one of the very important ideas theories is this if you think about it every cell in an organism right has to make a decision either it is a singular organism cell it's a one celled idea right so you have one celled animals right you have the protozoa you have the uh, paramecium i remember those things right and so on you know they're one celled organisms they have to do everything by themselves everything right digest excrete reproduce you name it they got to do it right because they have nobody else to to help them do all the functions that they have to do to live they're called single cell or unit they single units organisms very interesting but most organisms are multicellular think about that right they don't have one cell they have specialization there are cells devoted to reproduction cells devoted to digestion cells devoted to pumping or whatever there, there are trillions of cells devoted to different functions that's called a collective you see so as such what's interesting is every cell what are you working for you're working for yourself or are you working for the collective every cell in the human body basically is working for the collective what does that mean that means if all of a sudden the cell is not working right for whatever reason right then the body somehow tells the cell i'm sorry but you got to drop dead you got to commit suicide that's called apoptosis it's a real thing a real function that means the cell has to give up on its life and it commits suicide literally because the cell is not working for itself right it's working for the collective for the organism you see every cell in the human body is working for the organism and therefore apoptosis that's what it's called right uh, is a true uh, what do you call property of every cell you see so in many ways and nobody knows how cells have learned how to give up they work for the body they don't work for themselves so if they're asked by the brain or wh whatever the device is that communicates i'm sorry but you're harming us you got to go that cell commits suicide in whatever form there's a whole way they do that i mean well how the body does that is beyond belief and so on you know but the key concept i want to illustrate is that cell has to make a decision either i tell the collective to jump in the lake right so i'm not going to commit suicide you know you know where you can go right or the cell says okay and the cell goes and commits suicide therefore every cell in the human body has the potential to become singular it can rebel interesting where it can tell the rest of the body you know all where you can all go you see that's what a cancer cell is all of a sudden it takes from every other cell it steals and that's how a person dies he starves to death you see a cancer cell is a cell that used to be part of the collective and now has become a rebel singular 
So it does two things. It takes whatever it can get, and it couldn't care less about any other cell. It robs and steals all the nutrients, so a person ultimately starves to death. And the second thing is it reproduces endlessly. It doesn't stop. It's immortal, which is astounding. Somehow cancer cells have evaded mortality, or I should say immortality, or mortality, right. Uh, you see? Uh, that's the classic concept. With it. So they reproduce on and on and on. You see? It's like a paramecium. It can re reproduce, as far as I know, over and over and over. It doesn't stop. In a certain sense, it's immortal, right? There was a very famous woman who died in the 50s, and they still have her cells, cancer cells, reproducing thousands of times. Uh, Henrietta Lacks or something, I think that's her name, so on. Very famous woman. She died, she had uterine cancer, and she allowed whatever, whatever the case was and so on, you know. So they took her cancer cells, and they cultured it, and that's been growing for the last 75 years. I mean, anybody who's in the biology knows this, and so on, you know. Because cancer cells are immortal, because they have defied the collective, you see. What causes cancer? Well, I mean, basically, it's an abuse of the cell, where the cell says, I gotta stop this nonsense. I'm being abused all the time, or I'm being mutated, you know. I'm getting out of the collective, right, and I'm becoming singular. Bingo, you cancer, you see? So you have to hope the cell is benign where it won't make colonies. But if it's malignant, then it makes colonies. Whatever it is, but the essential concept of a cancer cell is that it rebels against the collective, becomes a singular unit, and destroys the human body. So everybody's trying to figure out, and that's why it can appear in any cell in the body and in any organism, because every cell has the potential to rebel. Very interesting concept, you see. But I've thought about it, and I, I feel that a cancer cell, how does it originate? I mean, it has the physical originations and so on, you know. It's because for whatever sin you've done, which prevents the ore of that sphera, right, from, from energizing this particular organ where the cancer will grow, is not a sin of rebellion. It's a sin of denial. Because that's what a cancer cell does. It denies the organism. It says, I'm not interested. I will exist on my own. So I feel in some way, and we don't know really how, you know, that the origin of a cancer cell is really a denial of the collective, you see? And that means that the sin that the person did, even though we don't understand, we don't see it many times, because a person can say, hey, I, I never denied the existence of God. Maybe, but maybe it's a previous Gilgal. We have no idea. But that cancer rises from a denial of God's existence. It becomes singular. Hey, don't bother me. I'm not interested in being part of the collective of creation, you see? So therefore, he blocks whatever the sphera is in that particular organ, and he will therefore develop a disease that could be the, the disease of that particular sin. Now, I, that does, I, I can't diagnose based on that, obviously, but I believe that's why you have two different types of sins. Well, what have we covered? Interesting ideas, you see? You now know the origin based on the structure of a human, based on the structure of the ten spheres, 
and the neshama and the body and the taryag 613 commandments it's not an accident right everyone corresponds to some aspect of the physical body and we see that exactly what happened by Adam Arishman. The exact parts of his body by Adam and Chava that represent, right, <coughs> Yesoid and Malchus, which is the sin of Lush and Hora, which is what they did. That is the real sin, right? The parts of their body that represent Lush and Hora, right, was affected in their body. It's not an accident. And therefore God said, I'm sorry, you know, uh, your job is to correct the sin of Adam Arishim. And if that's the case, right, the man needs a bris. But what does a woman need? Ah, so the woman's tikkun isn't the bris, obviously. Um, but what it is, is the mitzvah of hadloka. A woman has to light candles. Since you extinguished the light of the world, you need to light the candle of Shabbos because Shabbos is the entry of Malchus. That is the entry of the sphere of Malchus. <coughs> For that you need a shear on Shabbos. But it's the shear of Mal uh, the Shabbos Malchus. That's really what it is. So therefore, a woman lights candles to introduce the light of Malchus. So apparently, since she did that mitzvah, that's the tikkun for her damage. You see? And that's candles. And the second mitzvah is, is challah. She does challah. And challah, the bread, is always symbolized as the essential ingredient of the world. You see? So challah is the, takes challah, which is the chalik uh, of the dough that represents Odom HaRisham. So when you give challah, right? So that represents uh, what you call rejuvenating the Nisham of Adam and it's also Chava so that's a Tikkun for her you see so it's interesting both people have to have a Tikkun for the whole idea but since man his Tikkun is basically uh, larger than a woman's obviously because he has uh, what he called uh, all the mitzvahs and a woman only has mitzvahs that are not that are only part uh, if there's mangrama if the time demands that they're, they're pata, you see, and a man is high of all taryag, therefore he has the, uh, he's a major representative. But in any case, that now, you now understand the logic of what a bris is, you know, what a hadlok is, why a woman becomes menstruant. Why? Why then? It makes no sense. Why does the uterus have to shed its lining every month? I mean, what kind of logic is that? You know, you get it, you keep it, and that's it. You know, you don't have to shed it. And then there's bleeding and all that, you see? And the same thing with the man and so on. You see? And why does the Torah command, you know, then and so on, you know? But in any case, I've tried to explain the concept of Yisoyed should be Yisoyed. And that's what Odom Mauritian damaged. The foundation of the foundation. Because he damaged the tongue and the mouth, which is what he did believe Lashonara and so on therefore since you damaged it that is the damage of Yesui the foundation of the foundation which is what he basically did and therefore the Ramchal he dies on the day of Yesui Shab which is basically now right and because that was his life's work to teach these concepts 
what's called the opnimi I talked about last week you see that's what he did that was his life's work to increase the knowledge of the internal structure of the Torah and when you do that you certainly increase the beauty of the Torah because it's incredible how everything now fits you see so maybe someday you know there will come a day you know when someday there's no more doctors there's no AMA right there's none of this stuff you go to your local rabbi or you don't even need a rabbi because each Jew will become a prophet be able to communicate with God and you're going to say to God well which Avera do I have to rectify you see because that's blocking the sphere of that particular and God will say okay this is the mitzvah and bemo so uh, all of us will be certified as Kabbalistic doctors you see and, uh, and therefore you have a whole different understanding of what is going on but what's even better is therefore you are going to do mitzvahs which will increase the sphera of that particular organ you see could you imagine you get tired no energy so you ask which sphera will increase the organ of whatever gives me energy the brain the heart whatever right and instead of having to do exercise push-ups right you increase the ore of that sphera and you get up in the morning and you jump out of bed and you run around the block 18 times right because you know which sphera to activate and that's the beauty of knowing what turns you on you see and uh, so that's the concept of Yisoyed should be Yisoyed and I hope that this year uh, will, will uh, benefit the, all the people that I mentioned and hopefully this Yisoyed should be Yisoyed which Ramchal was so busy with his life will surely bring the Mashiach and we know to end what is the basic function of the Mashiach ben Yosef Yisoyed should be Yisoyed because the one who represents Yisoyed among these ten spheres, guess what? Is Yosef HaTzadik. That's the union of the Mashiach ben Yosef. To restore the flow of Yisoyed, the sphere, which is like opening up a faucet. That's the Yisoyed. And it flows into the vessel, right? Into the basin. That's Malchus. That's the job of Mashiach ben Yosef. Uh, you see. And the one who was involved in that, obviously, uh, is Rochel Emenu, and I always find that interesting. Rochel Emenu, the mother of Yosef, and I always find it interesting that the Ramchal, that's his acronym of Rabbi Moshe of Chaim Lutzatoy, is the same letters as May Rochel, from Rochel. Okay, thank you. Any questions? No questions? The, uh, yeah. the oysin is connected three spheres? The what? Uh, the, the nose. The nose is connected one. So, so you have three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, oh yeah, uh, wait, the eyes, two eyes. Yeah. It's interesting that the head represents its own ten spheres. But what is so beautiful is that the tongue and the mouth represent Yisoyed Malchus. That's incredible. The Ramchal says this. I remember when I first saw that, it was incredible. I mean, he just it says it like kalachiyad, like big deal. To him it was nothing. But it answers so many questions. Why Lushan Hara is so bad? Because it exacerbates the blockage 
from Yisoid, which is the ninth, that has to pour into the tenth, or else there's no reality, because that's what makes reality, and so on, you know? Isn't Malchus the totality of the system? Yes, but that's only if it gets the Shefa, the ore of Yisoid. Yisoid must pour into Malchus. So why is it a specific organ? What? Why is Malchus a specific organ if it's... Every, every sphere has a specific organ. But Malchus itself is usually, it's usually the whole, the whole system as a whole. Yeah, so it, 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 what it, it takes the, what's called the chef of Yesoid, right? It takes that and it forms uh, the, uh, whatever it has to form into Malchus. So it's not its own ore, it's the ore of Yesoid, but the shape, the tsura is the tzur of Malchus, whereas the choymer, the substance, is the choymer of Yisrael. You see. Any questions? Is there like a, a microcosm kind of concept with, when you're explaining about cancer? Y yeah. Because it looks like there's a, like a unity among the Jewish people. Like if we conform with each other, if we have like unity and nobody's, you know, like all, uh, on its own. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of the, the Jewish people are really one organism, right? Yeah. Does the, does it get corrected for a woman when she goes into, you know, when she's past those that age? Because a woman's cycle will stop when she's older. Does that, yeah. Is that, so was that tikkun <coughs> accomplished? Well, yeah, look, it's only when she's giving birth, she has to experience death. But if she's not giving birth, why does she have to experience death? See? Death, death must follow the possibility of life, or else what's the point? You see? You know, because if you think about it, the whole concept of menstruation makes no sense. Why? Why does the uterus have to die? I mean, it doesn't die. Its lining dies. Why? It doesn't make any sense. But that's the oinish. That's the expression of the sin of what she did. You see, you know? And by the way, the gematria of Nida is Oyama. The numerical value of Nida is Oyama. You know, just... Uh, it's interesting. You know? Great. Okay. Thank you for coming.